0: Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam and I get to serve as the campus support team director here at South Mountain Community Church and uh, with me, per usual, I've got Pastor Eric on on one side of me. Eric, glad to have you here.
1: Adam, it's great to be here uh, today. Um, Just want to celebrate something. I don't think uh, the average listener or attender at SMCC knows this, but we take staff health really seriously. Um, We think uh, when the leader gets better, everything gets better, and so we want to constantly constantly be pouring into our leaders. And uh, we just got back from 48 hours of a staff retreat that Mm. was uh, just fantastic, and that can only happen because of the generosity of people at SMCC. So it's really good to be... uh, to be together and um now but i just want to say thank you to the uh the smcc family the attenders those who uh support smcc and partner with smcc because um we were able to do something very special together. 30 yeah. staff or so uh, pouring into theological maturity, uh, relational personal maturity, um, working on uh, discipleship maturity. What does it mean to be a disciple and how do we do that at SMCC? And then mm-hmm. we even did some nuts and bolts training on uh, you know financial controls because we want to be great stewards of every penny that's uh, given at SMCC. So yeah. it was a great time. Um, I was very tired when I got home yesterday, but uh, yeah. hopefully you guys are rested and, um, and ready for this podcast. But I just want to say, uh, we're coming off of a great staff retreat.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny how I just think every year just gets better and better. But this is the you know the best staff retreat I've been at since I've been here in five years. And yeah, uh, yeah. and then on my other side, we got somebody who's never been to a SMCC staff retreat. That's Trevor. right, first time. Trevor first time. is the new guy. What, yeah. was, what was staff
1: retreat like for you, man?
2: Yeah, it was great. Um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. The sessions kind of going through some culture, some language, uh, pursuing health together. Uh, it was really fun. Plus... I got to have a raspberry shake in the raspberry capital of the world. I was right next to you oh, when you oh. did that, and I actually yeah. punked Adam at the same time. Yeah, you yeah, that? Oh my god! So let's
1: just tell the story. Uh, <laughs> me and uh, Trevor, Rodney, and Juanita, our youth intern at our international campus, we went out for shakes. You know, we weren't the crazy ones. Some people went to the lake to get crazy. We stayed I back and did some work. Um, so, That's right, you know, <laughs> what we needed to do. <laughs> just kidding. And so we decided to go for some milkshakes. I too got the raspberry shake, and then uh, we see these yahoos pull up. I'm like, look, who are the? Why are is so noisy. And nah. Turn around and look, and it's uh, <laughs> it's like five guys from the staff, the wild ones. And so I said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna get at him." So I texted him, "Emergency, please call me." <laughs> I called it, you like right away. Me. It's the joke you want to give, not receive, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm glad you called me right away i thought you like if you looked at it and put your phone away that would have been embarrassing but oh, uh, yeah that would have been yeah you're, you're like that was a pretty serious text everything okay and i said i need you to pick me up what i say I he you said
0: to- said i need you to do, i need you to do something for me i said what <laughs> <laughs> you are like i need you to give me a shake <laughs>
1: anyways you yeah that was that was a good time so Anyways, we had a lot of fun together. Uh, had some milkshakes, and uh, it was good.
0: It's the first time I've ever been classified in the crazy group. Quote: of, Yeah, of yeah, you're branching out, man. Mm-hmm. Jet skis and day at the beach. Yeah, it was nice. That was fun. Well, we're getting into uh, more of our Redeeming Dogma series, and uh, we're continuing on. If you haven't listened to the weeks before, you can go back and do. It. But basically, uh, the week, the Sunday before, we we preach the message, and then we take some more time to unpack what we talked about on Sunday. So today, we are uh, basically in week five, or also the fifth doctrinal statement of SMCC, and that statement is this. We believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost, those that are saved to the resurrection of eternal life, and those that are lost to the resurrection of condemnation and eternal separation from God.
1: Wow. This is the statement on uh, heaven and hell, yep, the afterlife and eternity. And so uh, we have a lot to talk about. This is a very uh, serious uh, concept. Mm-hmm. Um, it has massive implications for every person. Um, some things uh, from the Bible and inside of historical biblical Christianity are incredibly clear. Some things don't have that type of clarity. And so um, in this podcast today, we got the challenging goal of uh, talking about the theology of heaven, a theology of hell, uh, really a theology of the afterlife, Uh, how to be excited for heaven. I think there's a lot of people who believe in heaven but aren't excited for heaven. I think it's Mm. easier to believe in it than it is to be excited about it. And so I want to talk about why. Uh, We can be, and we should be very, very excited. Uh, And then, of course, there's the hell doctrine, and this is a very challenging doctrine. Um, There's a few views within the camp of... um uh, Orthodox Christianity that um, I think we can talk through. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Trevor and I hold to a similar view, um, and uh, but there are a couple other people on our staff who have a, a bit of a different view, and I want to talk about that. The view is not mm-hmm. universalism, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people think that's the only other view. There actually right. is a, a view that has some merit, and I wanted to walk through that, um, and uh, I want to walk through some, some just desires that we have as people and how that can be evidence and proof that heaven exists. Um, I want to talk about what it's like there. Uh, mm. And really what we mean by there is a little bit misleading. I want to talk about who's there, and that's what makes it heaven. And mm. so we have all of that that we could talk about. Um, I think I want to start, though, with um, this, this passage in Philippians 1. There's this passage in Philippians 1 where uh, the Apostle Paul says this, and it's so revolutionary, transformative. Hmm. Um, I think it's very much something that the, 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 the Christian doesn't buy or believe. And this is the line. Uh, chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Hmm. How could he possibly say that? Unless he had a view of the afterlife, eternity in heaven, that was absolutely better than this life. I want as many people as possible to come to that conclusion about the afterlife, about that. Um, uh, about that. Because we have such clarity around this question, what happens the moment that I die? What happens when we die? Um, so I want to walk through all of that. Trevor, you wrote a point this week in the message. Uh, death deserves our attention, or death has our attention. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Why did you want to start with that? And I think that might be a great place to start this conversation, because it's like a doctrine of heaven and hell, that doesn't sound very exciting. Well, does death have your attention? If so, this should be very relevant to mm-hmm.
2: you. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, kind of the idea behind that point is that we all have certain um, times. We don't necessarily feel this kind of day in and day out every moment, but I think there are certain times in our lives where we're reminded of the truth of our own mortality, and that's when death really uh, demands our attention, has our attention, and we're faced with this kind of anxious uh, question, anxious and frightening question of what happens to me after I die? Right, what's waiting for me on the other side? And I think that, uh, that kind of anxiousness, that, that question is really where uh, this particular doctrine, this teaching is especially helpful, because mm-hmm. it gives us an answer to cling to that gives us hope.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, let's just talk about the possibilities to the question, what happens when I die? Uh, one answer is absolutely nothing. You uh, you take a dirt nap for the rest of your life. You actually just become dirt. There's nothing mm-hmm. there. Um, in, an, in a material-only world, um, there's, there is nothing. And so don't be afraid because you won't even know you're dead.
2: <laughs> Trevor? Yeah, I think what's fascinating about that one, I didn't have the chance to include this, but... Um, when I was doing some research on this there 's this professor uh, the, the Atlantic actually picked up this kind of mini documentary it 's about twenty minutes long. Uh, a grandson made it about his grandfather his grandfather 's name being Herbert uh, Fingeray, however you pronounce that it 's got kind, of, kind of a goofy last name sounds good to me yeah, but he was a professor who taught philosophy at the University of California for over forty years. He authored probably a dozen books, one of them in particular is actually on death like the, mm. the, the title itself is death I think it 's called philosophical soundings is like the subtitle but Uh, He writes in that book that there's nothing after death, and for that reason, death should not cause us fear. That's kind of the whole thesis, the premise of the book, is that death is nothing to be afraid of. However, the documentary uh, that's titled A 97-Year-Old Philosopher Faces His Own Death is all about how, as he approaches the end of his life, he's lost the wife uh, that he's had for over 70 years. He's coming near to his own death and how he's basically completely abandoned that conviction. Mm. He says he knows that as a philosopher, he shouldn't be afraid of death. That's his conviction intellectually. He has no good reason to be, and yet he is. Every single day, he's terrified of what awaits him on the other side because mm. when confronted with his, with his own mortality, right, death isn't just kind of this dry subject for philosophical dissection. It's something that scares him. In a way that he can't even understand.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, you know. I remember the the first time I thought about death. I was at I was very young. I remember I was uh, I was alone. I think I might have been using the restroom, honestly. And I remember thinking to myself, I was probably seven or eight. That man dying is gonna be so horrible because I'll just be in a casket, like staring up at the timber that really forms my casket for the rest of my life. I'll be sitting in yeah. a box, and then I thought this to myself. Wait a second! I won't even know I'm in the box,
0: and then my head just like <laughs> was like
1: I can't think about that, and, yeah. and so I remember thinking about my own mortality uh, as a as a young kid and, and kind of wrestling through that. Um, now I think the way Christianity has gone about preaching salvation, you know, are you afraid to die? If you were to die today, would you know you go to heaven? Do you want to go to heaven? Okay, you better mm-hmm. accept Jesus. I think that's kind of messed people up in terms of what heaven is is like. Yes. Yeah. And so. Um, but I just want to take us back. So the Apostle Paul says um, to die is gain. He's saying, look, it's got to be better, which means he has an idea of the good life or life itself that's completely different than what we have in mind. Um, Joel Osteen wrote that book, Your Best Life Now. Paul is saying, no, your best life is is yet to come. And, uh, you know, one Greek, uh, I, I think it was probably in the, about the, the first century, uh, Aristides is his name. He wrote this about the Christians, the early Christians. And I, I just love this because... Christians are forward-thinking people. They're thinking about the future. They're thinking about eternity, and Aristides says this, if any righteous man from among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they escort his body with songs and thanksgiving as if he were on his way out from one place to another nearby. Hmm. And I just think that Hmm. is so interesting that people would watch the way Christians grieve death in the first century. By the way, their friends probably dying in colosseums, being martyred and killed for their faith, and yet go mm. about it with with joy. And um, so, for for the Christian, uh, heaven wasn't uh, a good place because of what's there. As if there's just angels and harps and it's an eternal church service in the sky. That's not what they had in mind. That's <laughs> not what any of us should have in mind when we think of heaven. Really. Uh, It's a good place, a great place, because it's where God is. It's more about a presence Mm -hmm. uh, than a place. And I think that's where I want us to begin to think about heaven. It's hard to get excited for something that you don't know much about. Like heaven, you know, is a bit underwhelming uh, when we lack understanding. And yet when we truly do understand it, um, it it uh, creates an excitement. And uh, in the first century, in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, uh, he had to command this because it wasn't normal. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Paul says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So he knew what so many of us know, which is it's hard to be excited about our future with God when we're so focused on what's happening now. And that's why he had to command it. Mm-hmm. And I think our doctrinal statement here is doing something similar. It's saying, it's saying, look, we want to have our attention focused on the fact that we will be resurrected someday. Christians resurrected to life with God, non-Christians resurrected to separation from God, and that would be the doctrine of hell. But I don't want to get to hell mm-hmm. yet. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to stay uh, in heaven for for just uh, a little bit. Um, C.S. Lewis has this this wonderful quote about heaven, and I think it's it's really insightful. He says most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all. All right, I think that's true. Like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to die. I don't this, you know, is it really going to be better where I'm where I am next than mm-hmm. now? Yeah. So he says, look, it's pretty difficult to want heaven. He said, except insofar as heaven means meeting our friends who have died. It's like, well, if I can see mm. Jimmy again, cool. You know, <laughs> yeah. that sounds fun. He says, one reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is that when the real want for heaven is present in us, we don't we don't recognize it. Yeah. And so I think he's making an observation that the Apostle Paul had. Jesus followers need to be educated, trained on what heaven really is. And I hope today in the podcast to do just a little bit uh, of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um You actually had a quote earlier that you were sharing from uh, an earlier sermon that was getting at this whole idea that sometimes I think, you know, the whole eternal church service in the sky, we have this understanding of heaven Mm -hmm. that is somehow less than what Uh this world is here, like that this is concrete, this is physical, this is real, you can put your hands on this. Uh, whereas heaven somehow feels ethereal and less than, uh, and yet that's the exact opposite.
1: The exact opposite. I mean, uh, yeah, I think uh, one of the things that C.S. Lewis said, he says, there have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have desired anything else. Mm-hmm. And I think reality uh, is is this, and I think, Trevor, we, we preached on it um, this weekend, is that really... Um, let me see how do i want to say this heaven isn't an extension of the good parts of this life rather this life is an extension of heaven and I think that's an interesting interesting concept so you don't need to like look up at the clouds to know what heaven is like you simply need to look around and imagine all that we see here without sin death suffering and corruption mm-hmm. yeah can you guys get excited about that I mean yeah. everything that we see good here yeah. it will be there without all of the trash corruption perversion that sin has brought into our world yeah, yeah. I don't know about you guys I can get pretty stoked uh, about that
0: yeah, it's just something that's. I don't think people take enough time to stop and think about it. But yeah, every every good thing that is extended to us here, is just this small little glimpse of of what uh, of what is in store for us you know, in heaven, right? So we just yeah. get it mixed up sometimes. That's what's tricky. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's like taking this life and, and taking every single aspect of it and elevating it to the highest degree of flourishing because uh, heaven is the place of God's perfect and complete presence, and that's what it brings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so let me just put even this thought here. It's i just gotten back from a vacation for nine days, and um, vacation is one of those weird things where you get— um, I feel like I get enough space mentally, physically, to really find a really deep uh, like peace and just relaxation. Um, I was talking even with my counselor just about how present I could feel on vacation. It's just hard sometimes in the day to day to stop and be present. I don't know if you ever struggle with that, but anyways, like just think like I thought about it on vacation, like the day where I'm like I'm just like feel like really at peace and i feel very calm like i feel like my head's in order and like there's there's really good things happening i'm seeing um some some old friends and things like that so anyways it's almost like just taking like it's those little glimpses there except for mm-hmm. just extended into eternity right that's so, so simple yeah. to put it that way but yeah
1: yeah now i think um some of the reason we're not excited enough is because we have we don't have a clear understanding of what heaven is but another reason is I think we're, we're not sure um, on really what the Bible teaches about heaven and really the Christian's final resting place, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, final state. Because the Bible talks about heaven, but the Bible also talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Mm-hmm. And I think what we have to get to is that um, to be absent from the body, we know this from the New Testament, is to be present with the Lord. Yeah. Jesus says to one of the thieves on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. So the moment that we die, the Bible is very clear we are in God's presence. Um, I think that's called heaven. But heaven is not the permanent place for Christians uh, who die, there's another act, if you will, mm-hmm. in God's plan of redemptive history, and that would be the new heaven and the new earth. And I think yeah. that is really uh, worth worth thinking about. See, God's plan is not that we escape this earth, mm-hmm. but actually that he will restore it. Right. And I think that's a very interesting concept. Uh, hang with me. I want to un- unpack it just a little bit. Um, uh, God loves his creation, all of it, and he wants to restore all that's broken which um, includes people, but it also includes the earth itself. Uh, N.T. Wright, who I don't agree with all the time, but I think is very insightful uh, from time to time, says the point of Christianity is not to go to heaven when you die. Rather, it's putting the whole creation to rights. And, um, you know, the way some people talk about heaven makes it sound like a get-out-of-jail-free car, like one of those escape rooms with eternity on the other side, <laughs> you know, of the locked door, fire insurance, but that's not not it at all. All throughout the Bible, there's this... Sort of thread of hope that's, that's woven th- throughout the fabric of nearly every book uh, about the new heavens and the new earth. And I thought I would just take us through that so we can see those major mm-hmm. themes and connect the dots, because I think it gets exciting. Mm-hmm. So in Genesis, of course, it's in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, heavens and the earth. Now, whenever we see the word and, we think this thing and this other thing over here. But in Hebrew, Hebrew language, in fact, in the English language, there's a, a, a concept called merism. And merism is a bit confusing. Merism, M-E-R-I-S-M. It's the combination of two contrasting words to refer to an entirety. Mm-hmm. So when I say I looked high and low for my keys, I'm mm-hmm. saying I looked everywhere. I looked, I looked for my keys in their entirety, I, every, anywhere they could be, oh. uh, in, in any place they could find themselves. I looked there. I looked for them i looked high and low Mm -hmm. so heavens and earth is a merism for god made all things he made everything um i think that's important to to think about so so we see that in genesis in isaiah 65 17 i will create new heavens and a new earth all things okay heavens and earth merism acts 3 heaven must receive him until the time comes for god to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets he's restoring everything second peter uh, chapter 3, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Mm-hmm. Okay? They're looking forward to something new or something renewed, restored. Um, making, uh, if we keep reading Revelation, Revelation 21, five. he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these are the words, these words are trustworthy and true. Um, the, the, concept there is he, is he making all new things or is he making all things new all right that's always been an interesting thing but there's kind of yeah. been this you know the world's gonna burn and let's scrap it but um mm-hmm. but i think really there's this restoration process where god's eternal remedy to suffering on earth is not heaven but the new heaven and the new earth um and we see mm. that through yeah Marism. yeah interior it says god is making all things new not all new things so already existing but completely overhauled completely renovated, and that type of world is the place that awaits. Far more physical that world is than what most people think of when they think of heaven. Mm. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. So I think uh, as we begin to frame that up, we can get just a little bit more uh, excited.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such an important piece of like the the Christians and, and Christianity's understanding of eternity, that it is, it is bodily. It's funny how uh this kind of idea of it being ethereal and uh, like purely spiritual has slipped in and yet i think from the not i think i know from the very beginning it's been a bodily eternity that we look forward to and that's why the resurrection is such an important thing i I thought it was interesting too to even take that idea of resurrection and apply it not just to the bodies of believers right the resurrected bodies but uh even this uh, this concept of a resurrected earth right that Mm -hmm. we're moving into
0: yeah this, I've said this before on the podcast, and I think it's worth saying here too, I think I did a long time ago, but there's a professor I had in college, who somehow he made this really stick out to me, because I never forgot it, but the, it's, it's very important for us to realize that the resurrection of Jesus was physical, and there's enough recordings in, in the Bible to understand that it was physical, That. Um, you know, touched his hands and there, uh, and um, he was eating with them and so he wasn't this ghost floating around or like, oh, we just heard Jesus' voice and he was in the clouds or something. So he's, he was a, f- a physical person that was resurrected and that's important because doctrine could have been or recordings could have said, oh, Jesus resurrected from the dead and he was this spiritual ghosty thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so that would show, it'd be, you know, Jesus showing kind of a first fruits or or, or, or showing what was to come, right? But what he did show to come was, no, it's a physical resurrection. Mm-hmm. It is. It, that's what it is, so we can yeah. understand that better. Yeah,
1: no, and I think this is so important and so profound. I mean, the way in the West that we think of heaven, the way Hollywood talks about heaven, it's this... Uh, bodiless experience. Um, But what we see is Mm -hmm. there is a later resurrection. Uh, That bodiless part, I think, is often called paradise or the intermediate heaven, so to speak. Um, But the overall teaching of the Bible is that uh, new heaven and new earth doesn't mean something brand new. It means something made new. And that at some point, um, we will experience a a physical eternity with God mm. and that's really exciting I think I think we see that in a, in a whole bunch of places but um, you know Revelation 21 I read verse 5 but 1 through 4 set it up so so well in giving details about what this new earth this renewed made new earth is like uh, John says this then I saw a new heaven and a new earth Once again, not two separate things. Don't think of heaven and then the globe. I don't want people thinking of that. I want them Mm -hmm. thinking of one thing, Mm -hmm. uh, where God's presence is with the people, which was always in the Old Testament, I'll dwell with my people. Um, He says that, "...for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea." Uh, that's figurative. A sea was a watery grave to ancient people. It was literally, literate, literally a barrier to peace. So um, this mm-hmm. doesn't mean there's no ocean in the new heaven and new earth. Um, it's that this creation will be at peace. I think that's the idea yeah. behind sea. But he goes on. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Look, God's dwelling. This is this Old mm-hmm. Testament language. God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe uh, every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things." has, uh, passed away. Randy Alcorn wrote a wonderful book, um, on heaven. Very, very helpful book. He has this quote in it. He says, we normally think of our going up to heaven to live with God in his, his place. That is indeed what happens when we die. All right. But look at this next part. But the ultimate promise is that God will come down to live with us in our place Mm. on the new earth. There was this Mm -hmm. 1987 song, Heaven is a Place on Earth. You remember that song? Yeah. That's actually more biblical than she pretty, thought when she wrote that. Pretty good theology. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So heaven heaven is indeed a place on earth. And um, I want to I want just drive that point home with going to Narnia. I mean, I don't think it'd be a good podcast Ooh, without Narnia. Further up, we, further we, in? Yes, we yeah. keep going. We keep going there. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, at one point in uh, the, the Narnia series, uh, I think it's in the book The Last Battle. I mm-hmm. think that's where it is. Um, there's this exchange uh, where they're in that place. And and Lucy starts, she says, Those hills, said Lucy, the nice woody ones and the blue ones behind, aren't they very like the southern border of Narnia? Like, cried Edmund after a moment's silence. Well, they're exactly like. Look, there's Mount Mm -hmm. Pyre with his Mm -hmm. forked head. There's the pass into land and everything. And yet, said Lucy, they're different. They have more colors on them and they look further away than I remembered. And they're more More like the real thing, said the Lord Diggory softly. Suddenly, far sight, the eagle spread his wings, soared 30 or 40 feet up into the air, circled around, and then alighted on the ground. Kings and queens, he cried. We have all been blind. We are only beginning to see where we are. From up there I have seen it all. The great river, Caraparevel, still shining on the edge of the eastern Mm -hmm. sea. Narnia is not dead. This is Narnia. Mm -hmm. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked looked like this.
0: Yeah. Boy, I'm just thinking through this more and more. So, like, we get we were just talking about how I think it's hard for people to understand um, heaven and what's you know what's after death these things, and so if there, it almost as if there if there is a longing for like um, oh this feels and, and bear with me here, but I, I'm uh, yeah I don't know what to expect because like where is it what is it well I like it I mean it's like again it's the good. The, the, the good things that you're experiencing here on earth are, are provided by God. We'll call that common grace, right? Yeah. We could go into that more. but mm-hmm. um, and, and so all these things that we look at and we look on the news and we read about and we're like, oh, this is awful. Oh, how could this be? Those things will go away. And, and I love that story from, yeah. from C.S. Lewis in that. That's what, they're, that's what these fictional characters are experiencing
1: yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. The eternal state for the Christian in God's presence is far more like li- this life than we could ever imagine. That's what Mm. I'm trying to get at. And I think Mm -hmm. we can be excited about that. So Mm -hmm. the best that we enjoy here, great food, great relationships, art, culture, is a foretaste of what awaits us on the new, that is the renovated and restored Mm. Earth. Not Mm. another planet, this one. Yeah. where we will be without sin and death and, and a curse. Just like the Narnia series we live now, and the final chapter hasn't been written, but it will be written. And so yeah. one more thing from Alcorn, and then maybe we can give some final thoughts in heaven and then turn to hell, if you don't mind. <laughs> Hard swing there in the conversation. Al- Alcorn says this, I'm convinced that the typical view of heaven... Eternity in a disembodied state—that's the typical Mm. view—is not only completely contrary to the Bible, but obscures the far richer truth that God promises us eternal life as totally healthy, embodied people, more capable of worship, friendship, love, discovery, work, and play than we have ever been. Mm. And so um, as He's restoring us, each of us, He's also restoring the earth. And that's that's Mm -hmm. just an Mm -hmm. exciting—it's an exciting reality. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I would imagine that if you've grown up with the disembodied heaven concept— this is like mind blowing <laughs> what yeah. we're talking about today. Um, but I, but I think it truly is how the Bible speaks of uh, the Christians resurrected eternity with God.
0: Yeah. yeah, And just one final thought on that. You can go to Trevor. I'm just mm-hmm. thinking through a whole bunch of things, but it's cool to think about how, again, Jesus brought a little glimpse of the kingdom coming to earth. Mm-hmm. Um, he was going around and there were miraculous things happening. He was healing the sick and restoring, um, their sight and and these things bring little bits and pieces of like saying, "This is what's to come." Mm-hmm. Um, this is a little piece of it, and so we know that there's that there's been this little piece of it before, and that and that will be the future to come as well. The kingdom will come, you know. New, yeah, you know, new heaven and new earth will come. So. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was just thinking. Uh, one last word uh, in. Just the whole idea that, like all of our, the way that our relationship with God in this life gives us the ability to worship and enjoy and delight in God as we pursue our work, uh, our hobbies, our relationships, that all of that will just be even more so uh, to a greater degree in mm-hmm. heaven. I uh, made me think we took a hike out as a family to Secret Lake uh, just yes. a, a couple of weeks ago, and the wildflowers were so cool, such a beautiful hike, and uh, just thinking in terms of like that Narnia passage, mm-hmm. that that is just like a, like a taste, like a the smallest sample mm-hmm. of, of what heaven will be.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Will Secret Lake be in heaven? I'm tempted to say yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Will your favorite fishing hole be in heaven? I'm tempted to say yes. If your hobby is like going to the mall, I, I'm not so sure, but like, <laughs> I don't know if they're going to have like a <laughs> hot topic at the mall uh, in heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i like, um, just love hot topics Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. I, I'm not sure if it's everybody's hobbies, um, yeah. but certainly some of them and the ones that are definitely connected to God's creation, uh, of course. Yeah. Um, now, before we press on, Trevor, we looked at this argument about our deepest desires actually being an argument for heaven because, you know, yeah. it's easy for people for people to think, yeah, heaven, but still, come on, isn't that just wishful thinking? And C.S. Lewis has this mm-hmm. argument. I was thinking maybe you could take the listener through it in case they missed the message.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's kind of, well, there's two steps to it that lead to the conclusion. Uh, So first step is all natural desires have a real corresponding satisfaction. Uh, Just the idea that we experience hunger, and that's a a natural desire, and it has some object that it leads us to, which is food, right, which is for our good. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the same way that when we're tired, uh, we have a desire for sleep, and we have the capacity for sleep, which meets that need. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, desire for love, and there's relationships, desire for beauty, there's oceans and mountains, uh, all of those things. So all natural desires have a real corresponding satisfaction. Uh, Second step is this, that humans naturally desire something which cannot be met in this world, right? And I think that's a fascinating thing. C.S. Lewis actually has this uh, kind of spiritual autobiography called Surprised by Joy. That's entirely about this. Uh, And this is kind of the argument that led him to faith. Uh, Blaise Pascal says that every person has a God-shaped hole in his or her heart. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that uh, God has placed eternity in our hearts, that there's some desire that we have in this life, this kind of wistfulness, this restless longing, this uh, lack of contentment, this longing for something that nothing in this world can satisfy. And so when you take those two things together, it leads to the third uh, step in the argument, the conclusion, that some real object must exist beyond this world, which satisfies that human desire, which is God in heaven.
1: Yeah, and I think that's such an important... Uh, thing to think through and to think about and um, you know we we live in a time where it says where people say I was born this way or well this is the most natural thing and I would say let's just take that even deeper go deeper into your natural desires and and think about what could possibly meet them and um, Mm -hmm. I think we would discover that they can't be met in this world that's the Lewis quote if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy the most probable conclusion is that we were made for another world Mm -hmm. and um, that's exactly what we're describing so is yeah. that other world so let's just kind of pause right there quick check in that's why we should be excited about heaven and that's mm-hmm. what it is mm-hmm. all right yeah. so not an eternal church service uh, in the sky you know mm-hmm. it, that's not it yeah. uh, you know I, I think that the, the church is to uh, the Christians eternity with God what a Polaroid is to a Rembrandt right like it's just it's it's this vague foggy thing. Uh, that we get glimpses of now, but that future is is so bright and so beautiful uh, mm-hmm. in glory. It's often called in glory because it's basically the biggest words that the mm-hmm. English language has to describe such a marvelous and magnificent thing. So yeah, that's why I think uh, we need to preach on heaven more. Um, as I'm looking at you know my, my notes on this topic for the podcast, I'm thinking I want to preach on heaven more because mm-hmm. I think um, it is so compelling. And then I, I think. Did Lewis say this? I don't know who said this. Like, there are some people that are so earthly minded, they have no heavenly good, but if you're really heavenly minded, you'll be. Very much valuable on Earth. What's the? I'm butchering Ooh. it. Do you do you remember this?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something I, like that, right? I feel like the the quote has been said in the in the other direction, and maybe oh, okay. he was like doing it in a pithy way, reversing it to actually right. bring out the truth. Right. Yeah, but I yeah. can't I can't remember the wording. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So
1: so I think uh, if you're very focused on this life, you know, only paying attention to your loudest desires, you will miss excitement for heaven. Um, but if you are excited about heaven. Uh, you will live differently on earth and uh, the yeah. kingdom come type of mentality. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's why the Apostle Paul says, like, hey, don't lose heart. Like, don't lose heart. Think about future. Think about heaven. Think about eternity. And that will that will shape how you live now. Now, yeah. let's, let's go with a transition here. Here's our transition. If heaven is a place of God's perfect presence, all right, that's what we're talking about, then hell is the place of God's complete absence. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's let's walk through that. Um, Matthew twenty-five, I think, is a really key passage on this. Um, mm-hmm. Luke sixteen, the rich man and Lazarus, a key passage on this. Uh, mm-hmm. Trevor, just take us through what the Bible teaches generally uh, about the afterlife and separation from God.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Generally speaking, uh, in the same way that uh, there's kind of an intermediate state prior to the resurrection um, for believers, the same thing is true for those who have not trusted in Jesus. And I think that's what we see being referenced in Luke 16 with Lazarus and the rich man, um, sort of this uh, very uncomfortable place, a disembodied state, Mm-hmm. leading up to the resurrection that we see uh, that's being referenced in both Matthew 25 and in Revelation 21, that being the great white throne judgment where everyone is resurrected, and essentially they stand before uh, Jesus uh, to be judged. Those who have trusted in Him are judged according to His merits, mm-hmm. and those who have not are judged according to their own. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so...
1: Um you said in the message it's either there's really only two ways to live you say my will be done or my will be done or thy will be done like Mm -hmm. that's that's it which means um hell is separation from god is for people who will want to live in rebellion constantly uh and then there are those who will submit and and say jesus we i place my faith my trust in you and Mm -hmm. they're in in his presence and so i think that hell really is a is a difficult concept. I mean, this is not an easy doctrine to talk about. Like to think of somebody uh being in hell forever separated from God, a place where he is not present. Um that means all the good that we live. So 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 for the Christian, this life is as bad as it gets. Mm-hmm. For the non-Christian, this life is as good as it's going to get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, actually
2: right. actually to that um Adam mentioned something earlier. You referenced a, a, an idea called common grace, and that's what we have in this current state that there's passages that talk about God giving rain and sun on both uh, believer and non-believer, on everyone, that there are good things that God is holding in place, providing that every single person alive benefits from, whether they believe in God or not, whether they honor God or not. Um, And essentially, when what the Bible teaches about hell is it's the place of God's complete absence, which is not only absence from Him, but also absence from everything that is good, everything that is beautiful, everything that is enjoyable, because all of those things come from Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so, um, obviously, this is a difficult doctrine, you know, and so there's a lot of people who have had other ideas to this. So I think I represent, and Trevor, you represent a uh, Uh, the classical view of hell, which is eternal conscious torment, separation from God forever, Um, Mm -hmm. that the... That the human, humanity, we are eternal. Everybody will live forever somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that because that rebellion for those who will not bow the knee to Jesus goes on forever, their punishment then goes on forever too because they are people who will live forever. And that's the eternal conscious torment uh, position. Um, Now, there's been a couple other uh, ideas thrown into that conversation. On the other side of that is this extreme approach of universalism that really hell maybe doesn't exist at all, that everybody goes to heaven. Uh, I don't think that's taught anywhere in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a few other jumping off points in between. Uh, now, there's one, I just want to say this, guys, there's one that's been talked about a lot around SMCC that's uh, had some, some merit, and that's the position of annihilationism, mm-hmm. uh, where um, actually human beings are not eternal. Um, looking back to, say, the book of Genesis, where humans had to eat from the tree of life to be eternal. Once they were separated from the tree, they weren't, therefore, then eternal. And so uh, resurrection in God's presence is what allows, again, for the eternity to continue. If you're completely separated from God and absent from Him, uh, you are non-existent. It's it's mm-hmm. extinction, so to mm-hmm, speak. Mm-hmm. And... Um, in fact, we were up at Stafford Street around a table on the deck overlooking Bear Lake. Late at night. Late at night, yeah. uh, going back and forth on this uh, topic. And I think uh, there are some interesting approaches along the way. I'm not convinced, um, but I'm at least open to listening to that perspective. And um, I just think it's nice to say uh, to people that um, there are a few other perspectives on hell mm-hmm. uh, or eternal conscious torment or annihilationism that... Uh, that do exist. Uh, Trevor, anything you want to add to that um, yeah. concept?
2: Yeah, I think the only thing I would say is that it's important when we come to difficult doctrines like this that sometimes it can be easy to just kind of sidestep what the Bible teaches and make a decision emotionally. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we were talking through these different uh, ideas, it, the desire is really to understand biblically what what is the Bible teaching, making good sense of that, mm-hmm. uh, making good sense philosophically as well, taking all of that into consideration and not just saying, well, I'm going to believe this regardless of what makes sense biblically, regardless of what makes sense philosophically, because right. this is what... Feels good, and uh, yeah, I just want to say, um, that as we're having the conversation around these positions of like annihilationism and eternal conscious torment, that nobody at SMCC was around that table having the conversation, nobody's making an emotional decision that thinking through it well.
0: Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I I would say that 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 conversation was, was really, I loved it, I very much enjoyed it, and I think that, um, it's okay for if you're a listener and I've gone through seasons like this too. Um, it just depends when you're looking at something saying man I wish uh, this was this way or I wish that uh, I would feel better maybe if I could think this way whatever it might be there could be all these subjects and I've gone through this in college even'm thinking oh man it would be way easier to just believe this and I'm not saying this about annihilationism I'm just saying this as a general thing but then what that goes back to is I recognize what, I, what my desire would be and then I go to scripture and I see can I back that up right. um, that's your next step it's you know it's not wrong to think that but then mm-hmm. to say okay can I Validate this? Yeah. That's where you got to go next.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the classic view, the view that I hold to is that hell is locked from the inside. Uh, There's no one in hell that wants to get out. They would rather choose that torment and that punishment than submit to God. And so, because their rebellion goes on forever, the punishment for that crime goes on forever as well. And that it really is a quarantine for evil. That if everybody's going to live forever somewhere, evil must be quarantined to a place to protect those who are in god's presence and so evil is that quarantine type of place that's sort of the the classic position there Um, but uh what i want to also say is that um when it comes to uh, differing theological perspectives rather than shout out answers first we should agree on the questions first Mm -hmm. and what i wanted to do around the table that night was to get us agreeing on the questions Because if you can agree on the questions at hand and be aligned on that, well, now you can look for answers. If we're just shouting out uh, our conclusions to differing questions, we're actually not having a great conversation. And those questions were were really important. It's uh, what is the uh, eternal state of humanity, both physically and immaterially? Mm -hmm. So is my body eternal? Is my soul eternal? If not, Mm -hmm. what makes them eternal? Okay, so that was an important question. The other uh, important question is... uh, um, is the resurrection uh, of in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, to an imperishable body, is that just for the Christian? Is that for everybody? Right. Mm-hmm. That's an important question. And then the third important question, and we all agreed on this, people who have differing perspectives, we yeah. all agreed on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this third part is... How does the language in the passages that speak to the issue how does the language stack up how is the greek structured so for example mm-hmm. this is a bit nerdy but jude 1 7 this is in the esv jude 1 7 just as sodom and gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued nat- unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire all right so if you're listening to this you're like eternal fire how could it be any other way hell goes on forever in eternity well in the annihilationist approach it's the source of the fire is eternal from the eternal one that type Mm. of thing okay which is challenging um good hermeneutics say what's the most natural reading of the text all right and a, a, a more unnatural reading where you're doing more gymnastics to get things to match up for prepositions and adjectives to describe certain other things a more unnatural one is usually not the likely conclusion of, of the interpretation. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you got to really do some diagramming of the Greek language to see if the example piece and the adjective pieces, what do they actually fit to and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, qualify? What are they mm-hmm. qualifying? Mm-hmm. So you got to look at direct objects, nouns, adjectives, to see if, in this sense, eternal fire is a, file from, a fire uh, of an eternal source, Or if the fire itself is eternal, which I'm Mm. convinced it's that, which is part of my conclusion for my perspective. Um, But that's those three questions. In what sense are we eternal or not? What's the physical resurrection? Who's it for? And how do these words shape up the eternal fire, the fire that doesn't go out, the unquenchable verbs, Mm -hmm. uh, excuse me, unquenchable language? How should they best be translated? So those are the key questions.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, if I could just add to that, I think one of the things is, like, there's the grammar of it, and then uh, one of the things that was kind of being said on the other side of the argument was, if you look at that passage, like Jude 1, 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and in the, in the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in uh, sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire, the, the kind of the interpretation or the hermeneutic was that if you look back at Sodom and Gomorrah, they serve as an example, and they were destroyed, They uh, and that destruction came to an end, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that they were burning forever and forever uh, or being destroyed forever and forever, but it's that they came to an end. And I thought one of the things that was interesting about that was... Um, you know, it's reading canonically. It's interpreting yeah. uh, as the different books of the Bible are interacting with each other. And I know one big question for me was, is this uh, is the writer of Jude and other New Testament books, are they looking back, like John in Revelation, for example, are they looking back to these passages to draw language and imagery from them in order to describe hell? And there's nothing actually inherently... Uh, about the sodom and gomorrah and those that has anything to do with hell outside of them drawing the language or is there something about sodom and gomorrah in the old testament and these other passages that are actually pointing to hell in and of themselves Uh, sometimes the old testament prophecy will work in that way we see it in other places and uh so i feel like that's that's an interesting hermeneutical question do you kind of give um a greater weight to the old influencing the New Testament or the new influencing the old in the way that you read it. Sure,
1: absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, that's uh, that's hell. <laughs> yeah. I hope we did a good job talking about that.
0: Yeah, there doesn't need to be, uh, 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 I'll say this, I, I don't think there needs to be uh, some grand explanation per se, um, but I loved our distinction of making sure people understand um, this idea of in life right now, Ah, uh, we experience really great good things. We also experience some pretty bad things mm-hmm. and 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 the the maybe most simple elementary distinction we can make is uh, heaven or eternity, new heaven, new earth is all the good things we yep. experience and and then hell and all evil um, is is the other end of that yeah. spectrum. So yeah, yeah,
1: saying it saying it like this is is helpful for the Christian. this life is as bad as it will ever get. For the non-Christian, this life is as good as it will ever get. That's yeah. and, right. Um, and yep. so well, what do you want to call that bad that awaits those who do not want to be in God's presence? Um, I call it hell. Now, you could talk about Sheol and the grave and Hades, uh, Gehenna. All right, you mm-hmm. could go into all yep. of that. But uh, in our language, hell often just means a place where God is not a place of misery. Yep. And um, we hold to that here at SMCC. Uh, we also hold to heaven being a, a place of God's presence mm-hmm. and... Um, Uh, that's, that's what makes it, that's what makes heaven, heaven It's its presence. And so to put the doctrinal statement into first person language, which I've enjoyed doing throughout the series, uh, it sounds like this. I accept that humanity is already under condemnation and death is proof. All right. Death is proof that we're under condemnation. Uh, I accept that Jesus provides the only way out of condemnation and the empty grave is proof. So His empty grave, his resurrection. It is proof. And I accept that I will be with Jesus forever, and that's what makes it heaven. So really the best is yet to come. And, um, you know, we started with death having our attention. Death demands our attention. Uh, And if that's true, if death has your attention, uh, you should seriously consider letting Jesus have your allegiance. um, Because he is the one, the only one, who makes a way out. And um, I think that kind of wraps up sort of the doctrinal statement uh, on both sides: resurrection to eternal life or resurrection to separation from God.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. Well, I think that that's um, that's a little bit more uh, that that we can cover than just on a Sunday morning to give more context, a little bit more commentary on that. And so, hope that everybody listening um, has enjoyed this discussion today. And thank you guys for for being here. And um, as always, uh, it actually is, is a great help to us if you go ahead and leave a review for the podcast and uh, just uh, let us know what you think. Um, that's a great thing. And just as well, um, if you want to listen to the messages from SMCC during the week, subscribe to the SMCC messages podcast in your podcast app. Uh, thank you for being here and listening and join us for this conversation. We will see you again next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.